but when I put the kiss in at the end of Thelma and Louise, that gave people pause. I told Gina, I didn't tell anybody else. My feeling was that they were beyond sexuality, that it was a kind of love. If you're about to go off the cliff, I don't think you're really making a pass at somebody. To me, it was a declaration of that they were at a point where they were finishing each other's sentences and they were really there for each other. And, it, you know, in the tradition of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, except they didn't go down in a rain of bullets. Wouldn't that have been great if Butch and Sundance... Well, then they would have had more reason to shoot them, I suppose, if the Butch and Sundance Kid had kissed at the end. Um, but they did what they, you know, what guys do in movies. Instead, they got their guns out because they couldn't get their dicks out. They got their guns out and they went down with their guns. So that's what boys do. Butch. Hmm. Do you ever wonder if I'd met you first, we'd been the ones to get involved? Well, we are involved, really. Don't you know that? I mean, you are riding on my bicycle in some Arabian countries. That's the same as being married. What are you doing? Stealing your woman? Take her. Take her. Boy, you're a romantic bastard. I'll give you that. to the hyperfixation where my friends come onto my show and tell me about things that excite them for 30 to 45 minutes or more so I can acquire an approximate knowledge of many things. My name is Roma. I use the they and them pronouns. And today I'm joined by Lou. Hi, everyone. I'm Lou and I use they, he pronouns. Hell yeah. Um, Lou, I'm very excited for you to be here today. I've been bragging to my co-hosts about this. Um, oh, my God. Like, I'm excited I to-, to be here. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, when, when uh, we were prepping for season three, you and I uh, started messaging each other on TikTok mm. to record something. And I was just like, guys, I've got trans Marty McFly coming on here, man. Like, oh my God, I'm so hyped. I'm the quiz. I can't believe it. And I was doing the same thing when I told all my friends, oh, my God, the <laughs> hyperfixation messaged me. They want me on their podcast. <laughs> they want me. They really want me. <laughs> And so, but you didn't tell me what you were talking, you're going to info dump on me about. So I was just guessing. I was like, it's probably science. Nope. That would try. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Which is totally valid. I loved that curveball. And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if I should withhold what the topic is for a second. No, nope, I'm going to tell them. So <laughs> I mean, they might have guessed from the intro, you know? Oh, you're right. <laughs> you're right. So we're yeah. talking about Butch Cassidy today. <laughs> Yeah, we are. But before we really dig into the Butch Cassidy history and excitement and movies, um, I want to ask you a few questions. Yeah. To get started. So um, we have we have mentioned already that you have a TikTok and you have I a do. pretty decently sized TikTok for that matter. Thank um, you. <laughs> so do, do you want to plug that and talk a little bit about the content you do? Yeah. So um, my TikTok is the little prinks that is 
one word, the little, and then P-R-I-N-X, which is the gender neutral term for, you know, prince or princess. Um, I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I love it. It's so fun. Yes, and it is. I, I basically talk about all my hyperfixations on there, but mainly sort of science and Mars rovers and space. That's a big passion of mine. And I found that TikTok is a great place for me to just info dump. Absolutely. I completely agree. This, I think that's why I gravitated towards it so much, especially for content for the podcast. Mm -hmm. I was like, I feel like that's just a great place to just drop knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Um, but I am curious, uh, did you come up with the nickname Trans Marty McFly or was that bestowed upon you? I must know. Because <laughs> it's so um, great. Sort of a mix. I mean, I love Marty McFly. He's one of my favorite characters. And I'm a big advocate for the trans Marty McFly theory. And that just sort of became, for, you know, friends of mine, a thing that they knew me by, that they refer to me as. And, you know, followers online would consider me like a trans version of Marty McFly. And that just sort of became like a nickname then. And I kept it this whole time. I could have put my actual name in there, but I was like, no, I'm attached to it. Now I'm keeping it. Oh my goodness, because I'm I'm sit oh you should just it's an audio format, so you couldn't see my face, but <laughs> I did not know that there was a theory that Marty McFly is trans, and yeah. I love to hear it, and I need I need to research into this more later on. Next episode, <laughs> next next time I'll talk about trans Marty. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yes, we so you got you guys the TikTok tickety talks, and we met on the tickety talks, but we're here to talk about Bush Cassidy. So I'm oh, yeah. curious as to where this hyperfixation started for you like did it start last like two weeks ago did it start two years ago was it a childhood moment where you looked up at the screen and went oh hell yeah that's it so it did start a couple of years ago i don't know if it was two or three i don't know but um i watched the movie butch cassidy and the sundance kid uh starring robert redford and paul newman and i was immediately in love with this movie it's one of my favorite movies i highly recommend it i think it's one of the best movies ever made and you know i'm a bit of Hell like yeah. a like i'm a huge western fan like growing up i was so into this stuff i i i, I always said when i was little, like i'm gonna grow up to be lucky luke like i was so huge on that stuff so it's just natural that i would watch a western like butch cassidy and the sundance kid and get obsessed with the movie Absolutely. um but i think the main thing that like ended up with me like researching a lot was that the movie has hella queer vibes. Yes. Yes. It was made in 1969. Um, if you don't know, Paul Newman is sort of, you know, known to have been queer in his time. Oh, and yeah. so that was already like a, a good start, even before watching the movie, knowing this about the actor. But the movie is incredible with it because it feels like it shouldn't have been so obvious when they made it at the time and they probably didn't even intend for it to be obvious but when you watch it now it's like oh oh this is like there's something happening here because it's about these two guys butch and sundance and also sundance's wife who's not really married um who in the movie is called etta and the three of them are 100 percent a throuple like this is a relationship with three people and they can't say it explicitly but you can tell that that's sort of the vibe they wanted to bring across it's incredible I love i love this i love this this queer polyamorous representation in 1969 yeah. western yeah it's that's incredible so uh, the movie is written by william goldman who you might know from the princess bride um he's 
an incredible movie writer. And that is, you know, that the whole script, every time, every scene, I was like, wow, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. It's just incredible. And and the Korea vibes are absolutely stellar. It, and that is the reason I ended up Googling like, okay, Butch Cassidy bisexual, like, was that a thing or did they make that up for the movie? And it turns out that was a thing. <laughs> is it canon? Please tell me it's canon. <laughs> it's a real life canon. Oh, that's so! I did not know that it was the same director as Princess Bride, and once you told me that, it yeah, all clicked. Writer, I was like, "Oh, yeah. that makes complete sense." Yeah, he's incredible. He he tells good stories. Oh, hell and yeah. you know, I was wondering, like, is this just a story, or you know, how much of that is real? Uh, how much of the queer vibes were just an accident, or you know, possibly real? Mm -hmm. And they were very real. I ended up finding this uh, one biography that addresses that directly, like that, you know. Not like it's not the whole biography isn't just about his sexuality, but it regularly addresses like, okay, yeah, he probably slept with this man, and yeah, they probably had some relationship. And I was obviously incredibly obsessed reading that, like the confirmation that this character I got queer vibes from in real life, the person was also most likely queer. It and it, obviously, I I am not joking. I read the entire biography in a single night. Oh, I was so that's so good into it i read that i mean it's not like a perfect book or anything i no. i have some notes but the way that this person is represented in the book just absolutely captivated me i had to read it in a single night and then i went on to read two more biographies of the same week <laughs> i was absolutely captivated that's my favorite energy to be in where like you're you're yeah. you're full like by the throat in the hyperfixation and that's all yeah. that matters and the serotonin is just so good yeah ah. and i'm still like this is an ongoing hyperfixation because i still regularly check like archives and stuff for you know possibly new scans or anything of letters and stuff i am deep in in this now <laughs> i love to hear it i I'll, I'll jump into this hole with you i'm down hell yeah um so you 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 very clearly have a lot of uh, knowledge and experience and research into this topic, but I unfortunately uh, did not know uh, any of this until now, and so I'm very excited to learn more because, like, I, I I do like history. I've watched a lot of like drunk history oh, yeah. on um I think it's Comedy Central. Like, I do mm -hmm. love to to absorb chunks of history. And of course, you know, I'll put my own little head cannons on people and be like, yes, I know these are historical figures, but like, yeah, you got bisexual energy. Yeah. Um, but I love to hear that it's 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 canon, canon, canon. And uh, what you calls it. And I'm, I'm probably now just going to spew this all over everybody I know and be like, by the way, check out this bank robber, polyamorous bisexual icon out here. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, I feel like. We're at a good spot. I feel like I can turn on the timer um, to get started, unless there's anything else that you'd like to talk about or plug before we begin. Nope. I can get started. Hell yeah. So let me, let me pull out that timer that I'm going to ignore it anyway. That's fine. <laughs> it's moral support. Is more <laughs> Exactly. Um, there's times where I'll set this timer up and I disregard it so much that it won't be till the next recording I do where I look at it and it's like, oh, it's been nine days and 13 hours. <laughs> like, That's great. I love that. <laughs> so I've got the timer going in three, two, one, go. 
All right. Yeah. So um, the thing that captivated me was this first biography. I think it's a great starting point if anyone wants to get into this person because, and I think this is actually the a, a funny sort of way that this person works. When you read this, you're immediately fascinated, immediately into this personality from history. And the thing is that that is what he is famous for. He is famously a person that everyone who's ever met him fell in love with. And I mean mm -hmm. everyone. Even the people who had reason to hate him seem to love him. Just unironically. He's got Riz. It's like, if I don't know how to describe it. It's like if you made a D&D &D character and maxed out the charisma, but also all the other stats are great, but especially the charisma is like just off the charts. Like no one has ever had such a charismatic character. And he always rolled a nat 20 on every interaction he's had. That's what he was like. <laughs> I love that. Oh my It's goodness. just unbelievable. And obviously, you know, he was a person. He was probably not all perfect and great. And um, all the stories are not 100% verifiable. But, you know, there is a theme in all the anecdotes about him that confirms that, yes. Everyone loved him, and because he was just so unbelievably charming and nice, mm. and it's just you read that, yeah, like you go into a biography about an outlaw with expectations, and he yeah. doesn't meet any of them. <laughs> it's the best kind of outlaw. Yeah, like you, he was unusual even in his time. Like most outlaws were what you expect, like you know, mean, brutal. A lot of them would kill; they wouldn't hesitate, and he hung out with those people, but he was apparently very different from them. That's good to hear. I'm sure, well... No? So he was, he was the the cool, nice one for the most part, the cool, charismatic, nice one, but he still hung out with the bad boys. Yeah, so I, like I said, he's not perfect, but I mean, he was a criminal. He didn't really have much choice, but he was also sort of unbelievably non-judgmental. Like, no matter what someone has done, he would always find something good in them. Like Aww. He hung out with everyone. He didn't judge anyone for where they're from or what they did. And his charm was irresistible. Everyone wanted to hang out with him. Everyone wanted to be with him. So he didn't really make an effort to not be. He was a, quite the people person. Like He was absolutely a social butterfly. No, oh, I love this. Out of curiosity, yeah. where, where did his life begin? Uh, you know, is he like a, a Texas boy? Who... No, it began in Utah. So you might guess now, yes, he was from a Mormon family, but sort of a weird Mormon family because they weren't really Mormon. They were more Mormon by, um, well, circumstance, by family yeah. history. Apparently, like even his father was so like non-committed to the faith that the Mormon church wouldn't help him out because they were like, you never show up here, so why should we help you? <laughs> so that was sort of the um, the vibe religiously. And when he, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess, but later when he was in prison, he um, put as religion not, down nothing. So uh, not a religious man at all. And it was, you know, it was still a big family, not like Mormon big, but still a lot of siblings. He was the oldest one. And, you know, he always, like... Um, his youngest sister uh, wrote a biography about him. She said that he always, you know, wanted to get out. They always knew that Butch would, you know, one day just get out of there. Oh, this is tiny little home that they lived in, the tiny house, this horrible place, and you know, live a life, a real life. He's really 
really fitting into that eldest sibling category as another eldest sibling myself. Oh, I see. It's like, ooey. I see it. I respect it. So, yeah, he, he started, you know, life very humble, but um, he never really seemed to have wanted to get like a legitimate job or some kind of career. Like he was very quick to get involved in, you know, petty crimes at the time, I guess, sort of the, the usual, um, like um, the cattle stealing and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But he what is also extremely fascinating about him, he had a very strict moral code extremely strict that he adhered to so he would never kill he would try not to hurt people he would only take from rich people or companies the people who have it it's like an unbelievable theme in his life that i don't think any other outlaw you know would have followed the way he that's, did he that's some robin hood energy oh yeah i mean i'm not saying he was a robin hood he did not like take the money and give it to the poor or anything but like you know he would go out into the community and like pay for drinks and, um, you know, spend his money on everything that people, you know, did and made around at the time. Uh, women too, obviously, okay, all yeah. of the outlaws were like that. But um, I, he, like, famously didn't want to take or hurt from just normal people. I I do have, I think, I think I marked it one quote where when they robbed a train, um, like, way after you know he was like deep in the criminal stuff mm -hmm. when they robbed the train he stood next to a passenger who looked at his watch and the passenger was like oh i suppose you're gonna want to take my watch too now huh and he allegedly said no we don't want anything from laboring men or the passengers we only want what the company has got they have plenty he was a bit of a communist in that respect hey yo, <laughs> redistribute the wealth let's yeah. go I mean, mostly to himself, but yeah, they, yeah. He, he would weirdly always be out of money, even though they often got like really good um, deals out of uh, their robberies, but probably just spend it all on everything that you could spend it on, including gambling. But in a way, he did give the money to the poor, to the communities by just spending it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can, I can see, you know, like, you know, I'm going to pay you for your goods and services, and then now you've got the cash, and then, and then I'll go do another robbery. It's fine. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it was always an up and down. Like, they, they would rob something, they would have money for a while, then he would lay low for a while, just start, you know, doing normal cowboy work, working at ranches and farms before preparing for the next thing. It was always... He, he always went from, like, absolute riches and the high life to the absolute low life, the, the, the things that you would think no one would want to do. But it was just kind of part of his life. It always went into these ups and downs. That's so cool. Oh my goodness. I have such respect for this guy already. Yeah, and everyone did to an absurd degree. So he was sort of the kind of person who would always, again, his moral code, he would always keep his promises. And like he took that to like a level that you don't expect. So there are multiple anecdotes of him like getting caught and getting arrested or you know held somewhere and every single time he would just say hey you don't have to shackle me i don't need the handcuffs i promise i won't run away now if you were a lawman what would you do in this situation probably not take off the handcuffs right except that they did butch cassidy if he asked you hey don't don't shackle me i won't run away they took them off and he didn't he wouldn't run away. He promised not to, so he didn't. 
It's absolutely insane. And so in- unbelievable that his charisma actually was so strong that the people were like, yeah, well, I mean, he said he won't. So, <laughs> all right. All right, I'll do it. Even when he was sent to prison, like there was this convoy of multiple prisoners with, you know, their escorts. When they arrived at like the stage where they were supposed to be handed over to a different escort, the the guy who was supposed to, you know, accept them looked at this group of prisoners and was like, why the hell is this guy not in shackles? They're prisoners. We're sending them to prison right now. Mm-hmm. And the guy in the horse was like, I don't know. He said he wouldn't. <laughs> he wouldn't run and he didn't run. He's here, isn't he? <laughs> There was this is an unbelievable thing to imagine. Like he could ju- he could just say that and promised it, and he kept those promises. Like he fully believed if he was arrested, he didn't have to be held by force. He accepted it. If someone caught him, he was like, "All right, you got me." <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm here he now. Call- he called it honor among thieves, which I like. <laughs> oh hell yeah! <laughs> this guy's got. Ah, oh, I love this. Yep, the- I feel the charisma. I'm- right. I'm swooning. You can imagine what he must have been like for people to react to him like that, to be like that. And even like when he was followed by a posse for stealing some horses once, a guy in this posse was part of it, mainly because he hoped that maybe he can get him to work for him again. He was like, yeah, sure, he should answer for his crimes. But also, he was such a great farmhand. I want him back. (laughs) Can you sentence to be working on my farm again? Because... It'll do it. It'll be fine. Really? Like, people were desperate to keep him in their life. Like, they gifted him horses and everything. Like, sometimes he would steal, but um, most people were just, would only have good things to say. Like, everyone who's ever been interviewed about him had only, like, good things to say about what a great and nice and hardworking and talented and charming man he was. It's, it, you would think, you know, someone out there must have hated him, but it was pretty across the board. Most people loved him, adored him, had only good things to say about him. Apparently, he would always have candy on kids when he went into town. Like, they would just go be all around him and be like, here, I've got some candy for you. Like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Unbelievable. I am shook. What a good being. Yeah, in a way, like deep down, he was like a genuinely good person, I think. At least he wanted to be. Like, of course, he was in this life with all of these terrible people. But he never let that, like, spoil him, I guess. Like, he was, he had his beliefs and his convictions, and he stuck to them. And it's truly impressive and remarkable. Even when it, like, things got really bad and everything, he would always be this person that everyone adored and loved. I'm wondering if, like, I wonder what his motivations were to make this decision to get into like the sort of heist criminal lifestyle because if he's got all these strong morals and he you know obviously he doesn't want to take from the poor he wants to take from the people who have enough um like what if he had another option because i'm assuming in this in eight uh you know the early the late 1800s you know like would he have had any other option to like do good for his community other to then just rip it out of the hands of the wealthy you know what i mean like yeah i mean we don't really know why politician or yeah I, I mean I, he probably wouldn't have wanted to be he probably didn't have a lot of respect for them <laughs> i, I would assume but i mean i guess it's sort of like a robin hood thing right like this is the the best way he can imagine um spending his time because he it's the freedom of it right like he's 
technically free to do what he wants if he just, you know, sometimes works on farms and other times robs banks. Like, this is, uh, the life is on his own terms. He doesn't have to work for anybody and nobody tells him what to do, really. And he can go where he wants and live the life he wants. And I think maybe that was at the core, the reason he did it. He seemed to be like this huge idealist in a way. And life was not great for idealists at the time. Yeah, true. Man, that's... Maybe I was just born in the wrong era. Maybe <laughs> maybe I should have been born a Western criminal. That would have been cool. Uh, I don't think Not it would be. I mean, honestly, the life doesn't sound fun, but that it, I do see the appeal. The, the, the romanticism. Yeah, the, it's, there is, even in his life, it's like, it feels so romantic, so unbelievable. It feels like a movie, and it's his actual life. The, the actual movie... Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid feels more realistic than his real life. <laughs> that is oh how, how unbelievable of a person he was. And like the, the promises, again, I just remembered this anecdote where they were, you know, they usually lived on some ranch of someone, someone um, when they were, uh, you know, looking for places. Um, and he, they, they were planning on robbing this one bank in this one town and they stayed at this ranch and they had this son, like a teenage son or younger would always come down with his horse and he would always race Butch on their, their horse because Butch Cassidy was a huge horse girl. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and I mean that completely. He was a horse girl. He loved horses. And um, he would always race this kid on his horse and the kid was like, I love your horse. It's so beautiful. It's the greatest horse I've ever seen. And Butch said to him, one day it'll be yours. And you know, no. they robbed the bank. They did the deal. They ran away. They did all this stuff. Ended up on a different ranch. And he told the guy, hey, you know the kid from that other ranch there, that family? Give this horse to him. Oh he remember he robbed the bank. He was on the run and he remembered that he promised this kid his horse and he kept the promise. He kept every promise he physically could keep. Wow. That I know, I can, right? can you imagine being that kid and being like, wow. <laughs> yeah. He that is a direct anecdote from this kid. Like he told the story. Oh my gosh. And like he said away. that, you know, as much as he was a criminal and all of these things, and there are probably a lot of bad things he also did, but you cannot imagine someone being like an, anything but a good person deep down if they remember their promise to, the, to a child in mm -hmm. all of this life. Oh, yeah. I don't know if this is a, a, a if you have anything else to say about his, the, his honesty, but I am curious because you mentioned earlier about uh, Sundance Kid and his wife. Yeah. I am a little curious about that, that trio's dynamic. This is oh, a good time to yeah. ask. I mean, it is technically good. So um, Butch Cassidy sort of lived, you know, this life as a criminal and then eventually he became part of this um, gang called the Wild Bunch. They were really famous. You probably even heard the name before. And he was sort of the brains of this group because he was incredibly smart, very good, you know, very good with, you know, tactics and planning. And, you know, people listened to him because he was just a natural leader. He was so charismatic. If you something, you didn't really have a reason to protest. So that was also the gang that the Sundance Kid was part of. Um, and they were the two of them. So we don't know how they met exactly, but... Um, they were, you know, once they, they knew each other, they were apparently really close. And the great thing is, it's really like a movie. They were complete opposites in, like, temperament. So Butch Cassidy, absolutely charismatic. Everyone loved him. Always the life of the party. 
Sundance Kid, not so much. <laughs> he was more serious, you know, a little sour, often in a bad mood, and not necessarily like mean or rude or anything, but you know, he was not as approachable. He was more of an introvert. It's Naruto <laughs> and Sasuke. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. The black cat, he was golden retriever. Yeah, in a lot of ways. And, you know, they were totally different people in, in this respect, but they shared a lot of things still. Like, they both loved books, reportedly, which I think is the cutest thing. You have these outlaws who live a life on the run all the time, but they're book nerds. <laughs> oh, I want to know what kind of books they like. Oh, I, 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 like oh, I, I like to imagine, personally, we, there are some biographers who have made notes of books they probably read, but I personally believe that they bonded a lot over Julian, because that is just a personal thing that I want to believe. <laughs> Wait, who's... Who, uh, what uh, I've never heard of. What is? Did you see Jervan? Ju- I don't know how how Americans pronounce it. I'm so sorry. Um, oh, you know, good. Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Ah, yeah. And he wrote all oh, of the Jules like, Verne. Jules okay. Verne. Okay, thank you. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> no, terrible <good>. sometimes. <laughs> and that is just my personal belief. Um, but yeah, they they loved books, and the Sundance Kid reportedly got into this outlaw life um, because he read books and he really thought that sounded amazing like a great life and that's the reason he went into it and in a way that's also what butch cassidy did he heard about this incredible life where you're free and there you know you can do what you want and i love that for them and they both loved horses like i said he was a huge horse girl oh, the sun and skid as well yeah they probably bonded a lot over horses and like they were opposites like you couldn't write this in a movie because people would be like that's a little too on the nose like, I just told you how Butch Cassidy would never be shackled because he promised to never run away. Well, when the Sundance Kid would have handcuffs on him, he would he would make like a magician and get out and run for it. Like, <laughs> this man could not be tied down by any shackles in the West. Like, there was an anecdote where he had like the state of the art, like the newest, most securest handcuffs on him and he got out of them. Oh <laughs> absolutely there's a story where he was escorted to like prison and he when when the guard who was escorting him went to the toilet he got out of the handcuffs and jumped off the train like this man could not be held <laughs> i love that chaos energy such oh a God. like if you made a movie like this where you show them side by side you would think oh come on really that's a little much but no they were really like that like when butch was in prison he you know he was sitting there he was like all right you got me i i'm gonna sit out my sentence that's fine he was you know, a peaceful prisoner sometimes kid made a run for it he tried to escape <laughs> you know uh this is i keep picturing in my mind because you know i like i like putting uh characters into like comparative boxes yeah. not like putting him in a box but like mm. oh so this reminds me of this this, this. Oh, no, i don't I, know if you same. watch anime not uh, a lot i'm sorry <laughs> oh you're good there's a show called buddy daddies and they're both like spy assassin kind of people and one is this very charismatic blonde haired guy and the other one is this uh black haired very edgy mm. um you know, so basically they're fitting into the Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid dynamic. And I just, they, their faces have morphed from what Aww. I see in my Google search to just the <laughs> two characters. I'll, I can send you a picture so it makes sense. Oh yeah, please. Love that. I mean, in my but, head, they will fall, will always be Paul Newman and Robert Redford. But <laughs> uh, in this picture I'm about to send you, and it'll be in the Discord. If, yeah. if uh, listeners are in the Discord, 
But in this scene, uh, they're running from a job gone wrong because mm-hmm. the kid that they adopted uh, screwed up the job. <laughs> oh, I love this. This is great. So, yeah, this is this is about their energy, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's so great. You know, I love maybe that. Uh, writers have looked at the Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid combo and said, yeah, this is going to be in all of my heist related content now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is really a, a relationship between characters that is just tropey as hell and it was real like it was unbelievable to read and everyone reports it like that so i mean it had it was real they they really lived the most tropey life imaginable in the west that's so great you said that they had uh was her name edda or yeah Irina? in the movie her name is edda but her real name was actually we don't really know her real name we have no <gasps> idea who she really is her she went by ethel place but Place was also the maiden name of Sundance's mother, so possible that was already a cover name, although it could have also been a coincidence. But, you know, these people, they went by so many, so many names that it's sometimes almost impossible to, like, get them all under, like, like one umbrella, like, to be like, okay, all of these names were this person. But with Ethel, we actually really... I, as far as I know, we don't really know for sure who she was, what she did. We only really know things that were in connection with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Like when they appeared somewhere and she was there, then we know, okay, that's where she was. But before or after, nobody knows. Because <laughs> Ethel Place was probably already not her real name. Um, That has big loop on the third energy. Again, um, haven't seen it. <laughs> Oh, uh, if you like heist movies, um, Lupin the Third is a super, super, and I think we're going to be doing an episode on this on some point. Oh, Don't great. Me on that. Then I'm going to um, wait for that. <laughs> but uh, the, the TLDR is, is that it's a group of four who um, go on all these heists and Lupin is part of a, a, a legacy of, of Master Thieves. Uh, he's very charismatic very golden retriever energy mm. very smart people will just like believe what he says so he he fits into the he's butch cassidy butch, yeah um but he's got this he's got two other guys with him um i'm trying to remember their names uh but one is like here i'll just send a picture mm. okay so uh the guy in the black on the left that's jegan mm. So he's got big uh, Western, very good at shooting weapons. Oh, yeah. He's just a very great sharpshooter. Uh, he's like the left-hand man for Lupin. And then the guy on the right in the white, that's Goemon. He's pretty much like a dude from a line of great samurais who is, even though in the modern time, he's still just a samurai guy and does not understand technology. And then you have um, Fujiko in the corner, and she's just like the world's greatest honeypot sort of concept where even then you're not really sure if that's her name and um, uh just you know very very fantastic at what she does but you've got these four doing heists all the time and i love this i feel like that might have been inspired by much cassidy in the sun that's kids real life um yeah actually yeah explain it because otherwise my comment would be out of nowhere <laughs> Uh, Theo from the first episode of season two has uh, put in the chat Butch Cassidy versus Femme Cassidy, <laughs> and I wasn't prepared. That's so funny. Um, yeah, actually, I want to, before I go on with the Sundance Kid, um, go back to where Butch Cassidy's name comes from, because his real name is not Butch Cassidy or anything like that. His real name is Robert 
Parker, Robert Leroy or Leroy Parker. And, you know, like all outlaws, he eventually adopted multiple names and went by a bunch of different names. Eventually, Butch became one of his names. But Cassidy has a backstory that I think you're going to love. Because when he was a young man, and still, you know, with his family, um, he and his mother went to work on um, this ranch because this family, they didn't have a lot of money. Everyone had to work as much as they could. So, you know, the two of them, his mom and him, went to work on this farm or ranch. And there came into his life another young man by the name of Mike Cassidy. Oh, and you're probably already going on the right track with your thoughts that, yes, this is where he got his name from, because there is good reason to believe that the two of them were probably very quite in love at the time they worked there together. Even his mother said some very suggestive things about their relationship. So it seems highly likely that this was sort of Butch's first, like, big love like first experience with love most likely and you know butch was already like involved with like smaller crime like this like i said the usual cowboy stuff but mike was you know a little more um into this life already and allegedly when he left to you know join whatever we don't know where he went afterwards Mm -hmm. but when he left allegedly he said to butch cassidy who asked you know back then not called butch cassidy just Bob, probably, who asked, you know, to come. He said to him, you're too good for where I'm going, kid. Which is (laughs) wild. And the incredible thing is that I believe that Mike Cassidy really already saw in Butch what everyone else throughout his life saw in him, this deep goodness. Like, I believe that Mike Cassidy looked at him and was like, no, this kid cannot live the outlaw life. He's too good for this. He has to do something legit. He has to do something that you know, that makes him happy. He He's not a bad guy. And in a way, he was correct. But in an incredible twist of fate, nobody knows what happened to Mike Cassidy. But Butch Cassidy is one of the most famous outlaws ever. So he left saying that, you know, my life of outlaw living is not for you. You're too good for it. And, you know, eventually Butch became the one who was the outlaw. And with under his name and it very much has the vibe of you know i took his name like you take a name in a marriage like that is absolutely the vibe to me like why would he pick the name of this random guy he worked with on a farm when young if not because he's still so deeply like he still remembers him so fondly and still loves him it has such huge romantic vibes to me like so so Mike Cassidy disappears into the ether yeah. to do more crime. Yeah, pretty much, and yeah. <laughs> leaves him, I, I'm assuming he, he left him, he left uh, Butch Cassidy behind. So yeah. he goes, actually, um, I'm going to make you proud almost yeah. and out of spite. And so it's I a don't know if it was of, out oh, of spite, but I always like to imagine that it was sort of like a message like, hey, I get why you left. I was very young at the time and I see why you said that, but... You know, I forgive you. I I still have your name because I I still care about you. It's okay if where the wherever you are there. I'm my I'm Butch Cassidy now. I have your name now. I I married you in my mind. Aww. I like to think of it that way. Like he was a hopeless romantic. I think in many ways, tell that he was a bit of a hopeless romantic. And I like to believe that that already started there when he decided one day when he was you know asked, "Hey, what's your name?" and he decided, Cassidy. It's my it's it's Butch Cassidy. Like he decided that would be his name now. 
That is so wonderful. And now romance novels are on the shelf of my uh, fictional canon of things that Butch Cassidy mm. reads. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, he loved books. He probably loved romance books as well. He was most likely very romantic for despite this life and despite not having any sort of steady relationships like like i said earlier that the biography addresses sort of the topic of his sexuality and it goes into like how you know this um as a lot of people know now that cowboys were usually kind of involved with each other in some way but it was this like you wouldn't talk about it but everyone kind of knew that out there you know it's just you often just two guys you know stuff happens and you know maybe some of them were genuinely in love nobody would like say it out loud but we just know that that was known and kind of accepted in in a way um as long as you didn't talk about it and he yeah. definitely fell into this category like there are people who kind of boasted about having slept with him like men who were like yeah yeah i shared a bed with butch cassidy you know like <laughs> the that's one the guy. effect he had on people like people would openly talk about it just because it was him, you know? It wouldn't have otherwise. It was shunned, but yeah. him. And, you know, even at the time, he would have probably raised some suspicion, you know, never going steady with any women. Um, you know, he had, you know, a woman he slept with here or there, but even the outlaws would get married. <laughs> even they yeah. had wives, and he didn't. He, he never showed any interest in, like, going steady, settling down with a woman. He showed interest in settling down in general in his life. But um, mm -hmm. not getting, not the marrying type. So it's likely that even at the time, people were like a little, oh, this, the, butch, the butch is a little different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. This, uh, I love this boy. Good bean. And I think that that is a good segue to, you know, back to the Sundance Kid and Ethel. Mm -hmm. Who, you know, there were many people in Butch's life who were really important to him, whose names really deserve, you know, to be put next to his like um, Elsie Lay was a person he worked with a lot who he did a lot of stories with who was part of the wild bunch some people even say that the Sundance kid in the movie was inspired by both the Sundance kid and that guy because you know they were really close but the thing is none of these people are the people he ran away with he ran away with the Sundance kid and Ethel no and it is truly an unbelievable story so you know after Crime after crime after crime, trying to settle down, trying to make deals that maybe, hey, if, if I do this for the government, can they, you know, forget about wanting to arrest me? Is that a thing we can do? You know, he tried everything, but, you know, eventually they realized this isn't, this isn't going good. We, we got to run. We can't stay here. And the three of them, the three of them, three people, remember, it's just this allegedly married, but not really married couple and this guy. <laughs> Oh my goodness. They decided to run away from the United States to Argentina to go straight there, to settle down, to settle down there, essentially. So Argentina? That's yeah, Argentina, because that was far away. And it was sort of at the time, it was like this novel place, like people you thought that Argentina was like the next big thing. Like that was, that's the country where stuff's happening. And it also had a similar climate to this Western um, United States sort of uh, climate. So it was sort of recommended like, hey, if you want to get out of Argentina is a good place to start a ranch, like, like you do in America. And, you know, far away from American law. So that sounds good. And what I love, there's this wonderful montage in the movie, if anyone 
uh, watched it already, where the three of them, on their way to Argentina, they'd make a stop in New York first. And this is absolutely a ridiculously adorable montage in the movie, just with pictures of them just having the greatest time in the world in New York, just hanging out in all of these expensive places and seeing all oh. of these wonderful things. And that is real. Really did spend a couple of weeks having fun in New York. It, it's so precious. It's so cute. Like the three of them went on a vacation. <laughs> Yeah, with the money thing. that they they had stolen but <laughs> yeah and then they headed off to argentina where they did settle down they started a cattle ranch they did it the completely like more legit than anyone has ever started a cattle ranch except their names were fake you know they Ooh. applied for everything they did it all as as well as they could and they lived a genuinely calm and happy life there for a while and you know, that is obviously like you, th- you, you think, okay, it's three people of them living together and they have this ranch together. That's, that's got to be, you know, they, they have to be sort of a throuple. Like this isn't just a platonic thing that's happening like, here. They were just good friends. <laughs> and the most, the thing that actually drove me insane about this is a quote from Butch Cassidy from a letter he wrote to a friend back in America. You know, all of these letters are usually written in a bit of a code, like... If you stole money, you would write, an, a rich uncle died and left me his money, like sort of this kind of thing. But yeah. what he wrote, like he wrote about his, about their life in this, on this ranch in Argentina that they just started and that he loves it. And it's, they, they're having, you know, what they do there. And he described them, the three of them, as our little family of three. Aww. And it absolutely is the most beautiful thing I've ever read. Like, this is the most wonderful polyamorous quote I can imagine. Our little family of three living in Argentina. They had a little cocker spaniel, I think. How no. cute. <laughs> and, oh, baby. you know, they ran this farm legit. Like, the people around them, like everyone that they knew who lived around, only had good things to say about them again. Like, they said, you know, respectable people, always polite, always well dressed. Always, you know, very, you know, they, their their house was beautiful, immaculate. They would always sit there in the evening and read. And they were great hosts and also amazing, like, ranchers. They were sharpshooters. They were talented at everything. People, you know, a lot of Americans came to Argentina and failed to do anything there because they weren't used to sort of, you know, everything, um, all, like, the landscape and the animals. But they were just naturally good at it. And... Even Ethel is like was a really impressive person. We don't know anything about her, but what we do know is that she really attracted a lot of attention. She was apparently very attractive, very beautiful, a little bit like Butch in the way that people just really fell in love with her right away. Allegedly, she always wore or almost always wore men's clothes, which was very unusual. She was also sharpshooter, so there's some wonderful gender stuff going mm-hmm. on there too. Just the three of them had the most queer vibes imaginable, and they lived in this little farm in Argentina for a while. Just this this queer throuple that everyone loved because they were so polite and nice. I this is goals. This is life goals. Um, and this is beautiful, and I wish that it had ended there, but unfortunately, it didn't. Unfortunately, no! it went very bad very quickly. Um, because so they were still um being. Uh, chase technically so in america people weren't happy about what they did they wanted them (laughs) to answer like they wanted them to come back and go to jail or or something or be publicly executed or something like they can't just run away so that is sort of i guess the downside of how charismatic butch was it was that 
the people who wanted to catch him, they wouldn't let, like, they wouldn't just completely give up. So they sort of animated the local, you know, the authorities, like, hey, so there's three Americans living in your country who are the worst criminals imaginable. Like, they did unspeakable crimes. They would always exaggerate so that people would be like, oh, okay, I listen to you. And they were like, if anything happens in your country, if anyone robs a bank, it's them. You have to get them. Put out a, a warrant for them. And so, unfortunately, some Americans robbed the bank. It wasn't them, but some Americans did. Probably they were even friends of them because, you know, at the time, Americans would find each other, <laughs> even then, yeah. in, in these places. And But they weren't involved in the robbery. They wanted genuinely to go straight. They wanted to settle down and live a normal life. But uh, because uh, it was Americans who robbed the bank, immediately the search went out for uh, Butch and Sundance, who were oh. the main suspects, despite not being involved. And that is, to me, the saddest thing. Their life was essentially ended eventually because of something they didn't even do. Like, they did so many things. They committed so many crimes. And the one thing that, like pulled them out of their possible happy ending was something they didn't even do because the Americans were so crazy about catching them that they were just like, hey, wh whatever happens, it's them. Get them. You have to catch them. Even though they didn't do anything. Like People were reluctant about it. The local sheriff or whatever it was called um, of the area they were living at liked them so much that he told them, hey, they're looking for you. Get out of here. I'm going to look the other way. You guys get out of here. I, I, I have no reason to support this chase for you. And mm -hmm. he lost his job for it. He lost his job for looking the other way while they, you know, sold their stuff and left. Aww. Again, if people loved them. So, but unfortunately, the authorities believed the Americans that these are like the terrible criminals that they have to get. So now they lived a life on the run again. And that was sort of, they, they said to friends of theirs that, you know, they really thought that maybe they could settle down, but they now realize that they will never be able to get out of this life. So they might as well just go back into it. Like they can't settle down. They tried it. It doesn't work. So, you know, if they're already on the run, they might as well just go back full into this life. And there was some back and forth. Like they, they ran away to, I believe, Chile for a while and then came back to Argentina to rob a bank with giving them a good reason to chase them now. And, Aww. you know, split up again. Eventually, Ethel left the two of them. We don't know what happened, if she died, if she went back to America. Nobody knows. <laughs> again, incredible woman. No one knows what happened to her. Um, but, uh, you know, Butch and Sundance eventually um, came together again in Bolivia. And so they were just running all over uh, Southern America. And in Bolivia, uh, they... You know, they planned to heist, they planned to rob a bank, didn't really work out. Like, tensions were already high. They were being chased. People looked for them. People knew about them. There were, were like, posters for them everywhere. Like, most authorities would recognize them, probably. So they knew it wasn't, like, ideal. But, you know, they were, they, they kept moving. And eventually they robbed this, like, it wasn't even, like, an impressive thing. Like, they just robbed, um, what are they called? Um, like a payroll transport of some company, like people who put uh. the money on mules and walk down the mountain in a deal, you know? And okay. the, the, the funny thing is, the people who were robbed tell the story that they were extremely nice. Like, they were so polite about it and so cordial. Like, they always were when they robbed someone. Like, 
they were they they didn't hurt people they didn't kill people they were very nice they were like hey don't worry hey we're, it's all good don't worry hey wonderful mule you got there can i have that like they were just like the story the last thing they stole even then they were still the nicest thieves imaginable even then they were polite and didn't hurt anyone and it feels so unfair that that is what eventually got them because you know they left they ran with the money and the and the mules ended up in uh some city in bolivia san vincente i think it was where you know they tried to take a break they rented a room and there was only one room left because all the other rooms were uh, occupied by police and soldiers already who were Aww. already looking for them so Jeez. they were just surrounded by people who would recognize them and people recognized the mule with like that it was the stolen one from the people that were robbed during Aww. their transport and in the movie they have this really cool death kind of like they have this badass shootout and they quip till the last second and it's really it's it's like sad it, it is a sad ending but the movie at least it's kind of cool mm-hmm. in real life it was extremely sad like they didn't realize that they were already surrounded by the people who were looking for them and i mean i i'm gonna give a little bit of a warning like it's not pretty like there's you know gun violence and suicide yeah. it's not great for anyone who doesn't want to hear it but yeah they were sitting in their hotel room trying to take a break there and uh someone you know they saw them they they knew um everyone like around already knew they're in this they saw them sitting there started shooting and they were heavily injured in the shootout eventually and this is the saddest thing the saddest ending you can imagine for these people when you remember like what lives they lived what incredible people they were in a way in their own way um apparently what reportedly happened because we're not a hundred percent sure that the authorities there there were no forensics this is just what they said we don't know where they're where they are buried so we have no way of checking if it's true but allegedly what they found was sundance with you know wounds from the shootout but also one gunshot wound in the head and butch the same way a gunshot wound to the head self-inflicted so apparently in an attempt to not get killed by you know the law they were like hey if we're going out we're going out on our own terms so Probably Sundance couldn't move anymore. I mean, they were heavily injured. So Butch, you know, gave him the final shot and then shot himself. And it's such an absolutely depressing way to think about these men going out. The only person he's ever killed was his own lover. Oh my God. Yeah, it is. When I read that for the first time, I was sobbing. I was just crying so long. And it still makes me tear up. And it's so sad because if you imagine... And honestly, Charles Learson writes it so in a way that really, like, really got me, the way he phrases it. It really got to me. But maybe, but probably already wounded someone fatally during the shootout. It's, someone probably died because of him already, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a shootout. Yeah. Uh, but really, the only person he like purposefully and directly killed really was Sundance and then himself. Mm-hmm. And it's, if you think about the life they lived, this is such a sad way to go for them. You don't, you don't want to believe it. Like, it's just so depressing and sad. Like, this man who was just always, like, happy and outgoing, sitting there, wounded, just killed his friend, having to kill himself. And it's just absolutely unbelievable how sad that must have been, how painful. 
Oh, my poor heart. Yeah, it was rough. It was rough because I was expecting sort of the same kind of thing like in the movie where they have this badass shootout and like the entire Bolivian army is on them and they're like, I almost thought we were in trouble there and they run out, guns raised and oh, then you hear the gunshots and it's like, whoa, what a way to go out. Oh my God. And then in real life, it was so sad. I almost, I almost wish. I wonder what the the decision was in the in doing the ending of the finale of the movie. Like, I feel like they would have um, known that. I no, I think the thing is that William Goldman has also said that he didn't like. He when he wrote that, he didn't want to write like a proper biopic or anything. He didn't really do much research, so he wrote what he felt like told the best story. So a lot of facts in the movie are very wrong, um, but. You know, he nailed the important stuff. He nailed the characters. Butch and Sundance are really the way that you imagine them from the stories. And, you know, it's true that they ran away, but he leaves out a lot of stuff and he adds a lot of stuff. But the ending is like, it's it's a cool ending for a movie. Like, it's a cool way for these badass men that you just watched for two hours to go out. And the way they did go out. And I don't know when they made the movie, if how much people knew about how they died, like how sure people were about it, because there's always people who say, oh, but no, actually, I think that they got out and they went there. Like, there's always stories about how they definitely weren't the people who died there and they definitely went somewhere else. Yeah. But I guess William Goldman just didn't really care much about how they really died. And even if he had, if, even if he knew, which I'm not sure, um, he probably wouldn't want to tell that story because that's not a great way to end your Hollywood blockbuster. <laughs> So, um, it is really, it is such a punch in the gut when you watch this movie and then read the real version. Yeah. Because it's already sad in the movie. But it's so much sadder in real life. This, we should really, uh, we, I want to have like a petition now or like a call to action of like, hey, somebody just real quick, please make the, the queer polyamorous movie of the century. Oh my god, I you, I want to so bad. Like, I have a Butch Cassidy biopic in my head that's like canonically queer and like everything and like talk, and like shows like my, how in love he was with Mike Cassidy and how he decides to take his name and everything. Like, I have this ready and loaded in my head. Like, this biography is real in my head, this biopic. I'm, it's, I want it so bad. Oh. Yeah, there I are some adaptations planned out there. Like, allegedly, someone got the rights to adapt this biography into a show, I think. But I haven't heard oh. from that in a while. But I really, really hope that it's good and queer and not weird. Because it's so easy to make these people, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> represent them really weird. And they're really near and dear to my heart the way that I've constructed them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm glad to hear at least that it's going to be a TV show because that gives you a lot more time so, to yeah. flesh everything out. But again, do. I don't know if that's yeah. still happening. That was announced a while ago. I have not checked back on it. Mm, we'll look into it. We'll find out. Um, but oh my goodness. I'm so blown away right now because, I, you know, of course, I like I said, I, I didn't know much about anything about Bush Cassidy. And in the beginning, I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about heists. I love heists. And I, I mean, the heists vaguely. are great. The heist stories are great. Like he was so good at this at planning, and they were legendary. And then you were like, "By the way, it's very gay." And I went, "Yeah, yes." <laughs> like, 
I'm still there's a, this letter that he wrote where he called themselves a little family of three. I'm still trying to track that letter down. I want to see that letter so bad. I want to see it in his own handwriting. But it's just this is why I'm still digging through archives and stuff. I'm still waiting for someone to just upload the scan somewhere during like some sort of inventory they're doing. I wonder if someone has it in like their family like chest. Uh, no, we away. no, we know where the we know where the letter is, but it's too far from me. It's oh, I think it's in Utah. Oh shoot! Well, if I'm ever in Utah, I got you, fam. I mean, I have to look up again where the letter is because I know about like uh, I looked up so many like there are scans of the letter that I know are in some library. And there's a book that allegedly has a scan in it, and that book only exists five times in libraries in America. So like it's all over the place. But um, and allegedly a scan of it is in Oxford in England. And I'm thinking of next time I'm there, I'm going there. Um, <laughs> I need to see it. If there's any um, listeners who has access to this letter, <laughs> please, if anyone has a letter, wait, which one was it? it it's Butch Cassidy's letter to um, what's her name? Davis was the last name. Hang on, let me look it up. I think it was 1905 to Mat- no, 1902 to Mathil- Matilda Davis. Letter 1902 to Matilda Davis from Argentina, I believe, about their life branch. Yep, if anyone, just... if anyone works at any of these, I don't know the these archives or library, just knows that they have the letter scanned somewhere. I need to see it. Please contact me. I'm begging. I need to see it. Uh, yep. It's living. It's through. If it, tracking it down for years now mm-hmm. i'm um, not even joking would you rather me provide the podcast email and then i can send it to you or do you are you comfortable providing a contact or like should they just send you to you tiktok or something because i can just I mean, put they can message me email. on tiktok that's fine Hell they yeah. can message me on tiktok or they can email the podcast uh, yeah. either is, is is fine if i mean the the likelihood is very um small that anyone happens to know whereabouts of a scan or the actual mm-hmm. letter, but I really need to you see it in his handwriting. But it's a uh, the hyperfixpod at gmail.com. If if anyone happens to to find <laughs> it and send it over, we'll we'll, we'll make this happen. Yes, and then please. you will be a hero. Thank you. Thank you. You would be my hero, because really it's been years. <laughs> a hero. Oh my goodness, I'm so blown away. I, I, I'm i probably going to keep saying that, and I'm probably going to, <laughs> as I do after every single episode I ever record, I'm just going to run over my partner's room and be like, open <laughs> the door that. and be like, guess what I learned about? <laughs> I love that. And this is only like a little bit of his story. Like, I, I barely got to scratch the surface here. Oh, you know, I, I, I bet, because like this individual and his, and his little family probably have done the wildest things. And we probably don't even have record of every single thing, you know. No, yeah. That is the the thing, you know. A lot of these stories, you have no way to verify anything. It's anecdotes. And there are anecdotes where we know they they absolutely are wrong. And there are anecdotes where, like, okay, maybe some of it is correct. We don't really know. But, you know, they're historical figures. They're people who lived in a place and at a time where record wasn't kept of many things. And if it was, not very well. And... I think that's part of the thing you can project into these stories. You can pick and choose what you like to believe. And I think that's what's so beautiful about having favorite historical figures because, you know, they're complicated. They're human beings. They're like us. Um, but in the end, you know, it's sort of the connection you choose to make to with them personally that's, that, that, that matters. Yeah. Whew. Um, 
oh my goodness i am my brain is so i at the end of every episode i get this like in, incredible high from like getting so yeah. hype and learning about something and i'm just sitting here i'm like oh I've, i don't i don't even know how to proceed from here like obviously i gotta watch the movie oh yeah um, i, I recommend it to everyone even if they don't like if they listen to this story about the man and we're like okay i don't really care that much about him the movie is incredible either way it's one of my favorite movies absolutely um and uh i'm gonna i'm curious so yeah. you you've had this hyperfixation for several years now. Yeah. And you've and you've gotten into the movie, you've done a lot of research. Um but where do you see this taking you moving forward? Like uh do you see, is there like content like you know we spoke briefly about the the movie or the TV show that may or may not be happening. Um but like do you is this just something that's going to sit near and dear to your heart or are you going to pursue anything deeper with it? No, I, I this is just part of my life, I think like you know, the way that some interests just stay with you. Like, I will yeah. always, if I see something that reminds me of him, always have this, like, happy feeling inside. Mm. And it's just, you know, I will probably reread biographies, maybe read new ones I haven't read yet. Um, and, you know, the usual, I will forget half of the things I knew and then have to start over because I already <laughs> don't remember it. Um, the beauty of... Um, not having the best memory is you get to experience things again for the first time. But yeah, this is just, you know, part of my life, my interests now forever. I feel that. Um, I respect that. I what was it? I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, it's almost been, you know, in a couple months, it'll be one year of this podcast. And I've learned such a great deal of things about the mm. about all these things. And yet I feel I still feel like I know nothing. <laughs> no, it's so mean, yeah. I mean, I ca I came here and I reread the biography in preparation so that I wouldn't like say anything like grossly wrong that I misremembered. And I I came in and I was like, I don't know if I know enough about him to talk <laughs> about him. Like, I was texting my friends like, I don't know, I'm taking notes right now, but I I don't I don't know what I'm going to like. I don't know if I know things. What if I say only wrong things? <laughs> I was I, I know what you mean. Like you, you, you just you feel like you don't know anything, even though you've absorbed all of this beautiful knowledge. Oh yeah, and you know, there's times where I envy people yeah. who who have so little information yet run with confidence. I'm like, man, <laughs> if yeah. only. <laughs> oh god, yeah. I mean, I was really nervous. Like I told my friend, hey, you you know how I get about accidentally saying something wrong. I I can't handle it. I I don't know if I should do this. You Calm know, down. there's it's great. There's a beauty to it because you've obviously you've done a lot of research, but this also gives a great opportunity for conversation, you know, like, oh, I have this resource on this and, you know, people yeah. can get into it more. So that's why we got this beautiful little discord tab yeah. where we can jump. I didn't put anything in there. I was Don't just worry. talking. I think it's I think there, there should be at least one picture of the two from the movie because they're beautiful, beautiful men. People need to see them. I'm going to pull an image from Google. Is it, um, I'm gonna drop it in there. This one's just really edgy. Hell yeah. <laughs> so oh, the, there's I'm a assuming... beautiful picture. Wait, let me, let me see if I can find it of the two of them posing on setting on. So I'm assuming mustache is Butch Cassidy. No, mustache is the son that's good. Ah, okay. Butch Cassidy was famously clean shaven for some reason. <laughs> and then one day, that. eventually. Sporting this like small, tiny mustache. 
he adopted the tiny mustache. Yeah. I love it. Here's a, I can't find the picture right now where they're posing really wonderfully in set. I only is find it... really, truly bad quality versions of it. Is it this one? Yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't find a good quality one. They were all cropped. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> I love them. These two guys, man, they are they were something. Oh yeah. I mean, they are probably the reason that this movie had the queer vibes because the two of them had chemistry that was just out of this world. Oh, beautiful. I love the outfits too. Yeah, the the, the vibes are incredible. That I mean, I love the I love old movies because they are so like raw, like the costumes and the sets. Like these men were truly crawling through like dirt to film this like you don't get movies made like this anymore like you watch this and it feels so real and tangible because everything like there were so few special effects that you could do they they just had you know stunt doubles and themselves they just had you know human bodies to do it you had what you had ah man if i could have been a fly on the wall oh my goodness um is there anything else that you'd like to to touch on about our our favorite polyamorous trio i i don't know i just i just want people to remember them as like this happy little family that tried to settle down so they really tried and they were really happy and these charming people that were just you know very unusual and very special absolutely oh my goodness I love them. Uh, they're, I'm definitely going to go watch this movie probably right after this. Oh, yeah. It's really, it's great. Um, ah, good beans. But if you are ready, um, you've gotten a solid hour of information out. I'm very proud. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at you go. <laughs> um, are you ready to, to wrap things up? Or Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I like I I like to ask a few times just in case because sometimes you're like oh oh wait there's there's this other thing or um, <laughs> I mean it's probably gonna come to me after we wrap it up but <laughs> I know myself like that. We've got Discord, so you're always welcome to yeah. just throw things in there. Oh, I will you want and... <laughs> probably. <laughs> Perfect, but um, cool beans. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me on TikTok, The Little Prinks, and on Instagram, the same handle. And uh, I also, if if people enjoyed listening to me ramble about a hyperfixation, I also have a different podcast um, with a friend um, called uh, The Hair and the Whole Vibe, a trend podcast, uh, where we talk about our favorite character from the TV show Ted Lasso. So if that sounds like something you might enjoy, um, you can also find me there. Hell yeah! You got the you got your links. Is it my turn? It's my turn now. <laughs> no. <laughs> we um. You can find me on the internet at I appreciate your butt at the twitter dot com. Oh, that was my question. I had a question. Do you have a Twitter? Oh. Um, I technically do, but I don't. I've I've left Twitter in you know the event. Valid. Um, unfortunately, I'm still there. <laughs> Understandable. Um, at i-a-p-p-r-e-c-i the number eight u-r-b-u-t-t um you can also find me on my personal tiktok at that same at but i haven't posted there in so long <laughs> um the hyperfixations tiktok has become my main area um thank you to the moonshot network for making this podcast possible you can find the moonshot network and many other podcasts this network has to offer 
at moonshotpods on twitter.com. You can also find them on Twitch at Moonshot Network, where they do amazing streams regularly, as well as charity streams like our upcoming Moon Carnival in May. Thank you to Offuskate, that is O-F-U-S-K-A-T-E, for our intro and outro music. So if you need a podcast intro and outro music of your own, check them out on SoundCloud, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find this podcast as a whole at the Hyperfix Pod at twitter.com as well as TikTok and Tumblr. This podcast has been edited by our amazing, lovely editor, Kingdom, and you can find them at twitter.com forward slash tachyon kingdom. Did you know we have a Patreon? Did you know that you could support your fellow NeuroSpicy co-hosts in their endeavors to learn everything in the world so they've contacted other NeuroSpicy individuals to info dump on them? Uh, you can you can support them at patreon.com forward slash the hyperfixation. Uh, and for as little as $1 a month, you too can get early access to all these episodes. And you can also get bonus content, extra videos. Like right now, there is an hour and a half video about the Exosisters out. You didn't even know that, did you? Speaking of patrons, hello, patrons. This is where I will say to the world your beautiful names and thank you for your patronage to our humble little podcast. So thank you to Ver. We love you. Becky Scott Fairley. We love you. And finally, Ken, we love you. Thank you so much. Y'all are the best. That's it. That's all the things. We did it. Oh my God. Amazing. We did it. Wow. <laughs> Great. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Uh, okay. Hello. <laughs> this is Clem Bianchi. I'm a courier delivering mail and space one package at a time. If you're hearing this message, I need some help. I'm trying to deliver a package to a guy on Pluto. Says his name is Gorge Flummox. If anyone knows a Gorge Flummox on Pluto, please let him know I've been trying to reach him about his box of Lunarian cheese. I know the box is full of cheese because for the last few weeks, I've started hearing things when I touch my cargo. When I pick up a letter or a package, I hear conversations and sometimes even see things tied to whoever the mail is for or from. I call it the letter opener. It's yanked me into some real situations a haunted house, a pizza delivery drag race, and even a revolution to take a city back from the bigwigs who keep its hoverboard sports engine humming. You can hear all about it on Additional Postage Required, a bi-weekly audio drama on the Moonshot Podcast Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, if you know Gorge, please tell him to give me a call. I think his cheese is starting to move around in the box.